0: this is Josh Bogorod, broadcaster for the Dallas Stars, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup.
1: All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by a divisional rival of our Chicago Blackhawks in the play-by-play booth, Josh Bogorod. Josh, how are you today? I'm good, Frank. Go easy on me with the rivalry. How are you? Good. I'm doing doing well. I'm really excited to have you on. Well, I'm
0: excited to be here. This should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so you had a unique opportunity to broadcast hockey in arguably the perfect climate for hockey, Alaska with the now defunct Aces. Although you weren't there long, what was the unique environment like in Alaska from a hockey perspective? From a hockey perspective, uh, the uniqueness
0: probably had to do with just where they were located relative to anybody that they played. Um, it, It was It was in the ECHL. They moved in in a few different leagues, but my time there was when they were in the ECHL. People always used to joke, how could a team in Alaska be part of the East Coast Hockey League? (laughs) Uh, And and it's uh, it's something that sort of evolved over time, and there was this Western division. But when you're in Alaska, if if you have never been up there or never really given a lot of thought about where they are, you're so far from anything else in the country you're about 1400 miles just from the u.s canada border and so every team that you're playing is several hours by plane away and when you go through the minors i don't know how familiar you are your listeners are but almost all of it um at the the double a level is done via bus travel yeah and so you're not busing anywhere to and from Anchorage. It's, no. It's all, it's all plane travel, and it, it turns more into, like, a college schedule where you're playing teams repetitively on weekends or Wednesday, Friday, Saturday sets. So it's it's more segmented than a traditional schedule would be just because of proximity it has to be. Uh, that, from a hockey standpoint, was what made it so unique. And then living in Alaska, just away from the rink, it's, it's – completely unto its own and in the best possible way. It was something that, you know, candidly, I wasn't too sure about when I got the job and moved up there. I didn't know what life in Alaska was going to be like, and I wound up falling in love with that place immediately. Um, My wife did as well. We had our first child up there. It was just a really incredible place filled with incredible, unique experiences and uh, I'm so happy I got the chance to do it. It was, it was just outstanding.
1: Yeah, like I haven't had a lot a chance to talk to a lot of people from the old Aces organization, and from what I hear, it was it was really a, it was a nice place. Just a lot of expenses from travel is what brought a lot of issues on. Is what I understood.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was different. They kind of operated differently than most teams in in the ECHL or or the Central Hockey League, maybe even the American Hockey League. Um, it, it was it was a really different type of environment because their travel expenses were crazy compared to anyone else because of that that situation that we were just talking about sure but their their following was also well above what the norm was for an ECHL-level team. They were televising games. That was part of the draw of going up there was the ability to to call televised games at that level. That's extremely rare. And it was every home game. They actually traveled a crew for the road games. So in 2011, when the team went on a run and, and won the Kelly Cup championship, we were sending Alaska television trucks driving him down to places like Victoria and and Victoria, British Columbia, Boise, Idaho, and then eventually to Kalamazoo, Michigan for the championship series. So you're dealing with a team that really spared little expense when it came to putting on a good production. And so what they were bringing in in corporate sponsorship money and what they were bringing in in season ticket revenue was also pretty high, but they were just operating with lines for better or worse, very differently than most ECHL teams. So that from an organizational standpoint made it pretty unique but it also made it so outstanding to to be there and be a part of it because you know the aces logo was front and center in the city it was the only professional sports team that existed and as you alluded to it's a hockey crazed market i mean it's yours ice snow on the ground for seven months out of the year so it's commonly played outdoors backyards and it was definitely the city's team and it was it was just an outstanding organization. It's a bummer that that it's not around anymore because everyone that went up there and got to experience it
1: could see that. Yeah, obviously yeah, that's what that's what I've heard is that it's a really it's really sad that they moved on. Shifting gears to you, Josh. You know, you're originally from Los Angeles. I mean, when you go to Los Angeles for a Stars game, what kind of emotions come up for you? It's pretty
0: special. I remember going to LA Kings games when I was a kid and that was an, an old arena that doesn't have hockey anymore. It's the great Western forum. And uh, I remember when Staples Center was built. I remember seeing it and being excited about the state of the art arena. Um, I was at the first ever hockey. Staple Center as a fan and one of the first things I did when I walked into the building was look at the press box because I always knew that I wanted to be a play-by-play broadcaster in the NHL and I I used to envision and dream about what it would be like to call a game from that press box and so the first time I got to go back and every time since I still vividly recall those memories and it's, it's really special. I've gotten to Call some games with some friends and and family and attendance, and um, kind of bump into them before and after the game in the concourse and right outside where the press box is, and reminisce about the winding road that it took to get to this spot. And uh, yeah, it's, it definitely stirs up just a lot of really cool emotions and, and memories of how in the world I got from point A to
1: point B. Yeah, and and I I relate to that, Josh, just because being from Chicago, you know, we have our high school hockey championship every year, and I had the privilege and honor of going in the press box for one high school game, the state championship where my old high school won, and like you said, it was really, you remember all the the nostalgia from being a fan in that building and looking up to the press box, so I I really understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, you know what, I
0: think it's not just LA. I'm I grew up a really big hockey fan, a really big sports fan across the board, but specifically hockey, and from a very young age – being an NHL play-by-play broadcaster was always a dream that I had. I didn't necessarily know that it was going to come true. I worked very hard to try and do what I could, but a lot of this stuff in this business is out of your hands, and you got to get the right break at the right time and deal with a lot of unexpected twists and turns, and, and it was a long route to, to navigate all of that, and so for me, I always knew that if I was lucky enough to get into that spot, that Every time I walked into a press box, every time I put a headset on, every time I got to call a game, that was a special thing. And I still feel that way. I, it, L.A. is obviously unique because of the fact that I grew up there and I remember that building coming into existence. But there's not a single building in the NHL that I walk into where I don't really appreciate and, and just try and take in exactly what it is. And I'll get to games. I'll get to the arenas early. I'll walk around the arena a little bit when it's empty. I'll walk around the press box and the concourse and see the memorabilia and see the the way all the team's histories are displayed. Um, I really love that part of this job. I love that part of, of this experience to just really take all of it in and soak it in and absorb it because it it's not something that everybody gets to do. I, I know that I was in your shoes. It feels like very recently and, and just <laughs> doing everything I could, dreaming about trying to get to a spot like that. So it could be LA, it could be Dallas, it could be Winnipeg, it could be Montreal. It, it, you walk into... A building to call an NHL game, and it's a it's a pretty incredible
1: fun thing to do. Yeah, it, it really is, and i I can only imagine the the magnification because I I had the privilege of calling a junior game as a color guy uh, with the Muskegon Lumberjacks last season, a couple of those, and if it's it's just magnified from that because you're in the NHL.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I used to feel very much that way when I was starting out, and whether it was. You know, calling club hockey games and getting the opportunity to do that for the first time, or uh, in, in college, or you know, in, in the Central Hockey League or the ECHL. When you when you get started, and especially early in this career and in this industry, you're doing a lot of things besides broadcasting just to give you the opportunity to do it. Right. and I just never I never wanted any of that to be lost on me. It's you know. Whatever the conditions are and, and whatever else you're doing, I feel like when you get to call a game, it's it's just a ton of fun. There's a reason that I grew up dreaming about doing this. There's a reason that a lot of other people have that same dream. It's It's a really fun, special, cool thing to do. And, you know, I don't know how long my career is going to go. Like I said before, not everything is is up to the individual in this industry. And, you know, some of it is out of your hands, but however long it is, I I don't ever want to get to a point. I don't think I ever will get to a point where it stops being special because it really, I mean, it really is.
1: Yeah, speaking of special moments, Josh, you know the magical Stanley Cup run in 2020 in the bubble. Dallas made it all the way to the finals against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and obviously they fell short. But it was a it was a really incredible experience and something to behold. I mean, specifically your call on the Dennis Gurianov overtime winner was something special. What's going through your head making that call, knowing that Dallas is going back to the Cup Finals for the first time in 20 years?
0: Well, first off, thank you. I, I, that. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I think when you're making that call, you're not thinking about it in those terms. Obviously, you know what's at stake. You're calling the games. You know the situation. And you know that they are going to the cup final as those words are coming out of your mouth. Um, but when you're calling a game, it's really interesting to think about the process of it because the biggest moments will live on forever and they're encapsulated in these you know, 15-second highlights that might get replayed for decades. But when you're going through them, you never know when they're going to arrive. So it's just part of a three-hour broadcast where you're calling a game and you're calling a moment, specifically a shift or a goal. And so I don't think that it sets in instantly and clearly again you understand what's happening but you're just trying to focus on what you can i know it sounds like a a hockey cliche from a broadcaster but you're not sitting there thinking i'm about to make a call uh that's gonna send the stars to the cup final the same way i would imagine the players aren't trying to think about it in that moment even if they're aware that that's what is going to happen if if They score on that power play. Um, Then after you kind of let it breathe and you see the celebration, even while you're still on the air, there's there's an opportunity to sort of have context make its way into just kind of the atmosphere of, of, wow, that really did just happen. Because for me, look, when you when you want to be a play by play broadcaster, that's that's close to the ultimate. I, mean, I remember listening to the goals like Howie Rose and the Mato, Mato, Mateau
1: goal. Yep. I, I remember that vividly as a teenager and and,
0: you know, playing roller hockey in Los Angeles and, you know, scoring and, and saying that out loud and then getting to call an overtime conference winning goal that sends a team to the cup final, that same type of goal, that, that Mato goal. Yeah, again, it takes a little while to sort of connect the dots and realize that that's a call that I was fortunate enough to be in that place at that time. Um, and then once once you do kind of take stock in that, it's it's a pretty special moment that I'll never forget.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, I remember seeing that because I was lucky enough to have a, a stream of your broadcast while the other broadcast was on nationally. So it was it was like you mute the one broadcast so you can see the TV and hear the audio, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course,
0: it makes sense. I've done it many times. It's also really weird because for all the times that I grew up, you know, dreaming about getting the chance to make that call, never once did it happen when I was, you know, a couple thousand miles away watching it on TV because we were in a global pandemic. It was, there were a lot of, very strange elements to that playoff run. We were calling all the games remotely. We? we weren't in the building. That
1: When, when Gurionov scores, if that if that goal is at American Airlines Center, the building probably still hasn't stopped shaking. It's, yeah.
0: it, I mean, it's such a... It became... At that point, you were kind of used to it because it was the third round. They had been in the bubble at that point for a long time. But it's still that's that's a different kind of way to have that moment um because it was empty i it was empty and, and you know that that moment that i was talking to you about where you call the game and then you're watching them celebrate and me and my color commentator are in this room in dallas at the fox studios where they had set up this spot to remotely call the game and we were in this like empty room that they had cleaned out to like makeshift a broadcast location. So I remember watching it on TV and then just sort of looking around um, and also taking a mental snapshot of just how bizarre it was that that was how this was all playing out. It was still just as special. It was it was so incredible. Um, I'll remember it for so many different reasons but that's certainly one because I never in a million years could have predicted that that would have been the, the setting for a moment and a call like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. That's. The, I'll, I'll never forget the bubble run. I don't think anybody in the hockey world will forget the bubble run Where wherever you're at, however far you made it, on any side. you know, It's something that probably won't ever happen again, so you got to look at it and say, wow, we did this.
0: Yeah, you know what? I certainly hope not because <laughs> yeah. as, as, as special as it was, Every single person involved will tell you that, I mean, even coming back with limited fans this past season, it was so nice to just hear that organic, natural reaction. Uh, the fans add so much. And I think I'll always, I, I love talking to hockey fans, sports fans, because I still feel at heart like I am one. I, I, I still enjoy watching sports, taking them in as a spectator if I'm not working the event. And it's just such an integral part of the sports experience. And it certainly comes through on the broadcast. You could see it this year as, as the crowds got bigger and bigger and then into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And what, what they bring to an arena, what they bring to an atmosphere, what they bring to a broadcast, what they bring to a home team, what they bring to a visiting team. It's, uh, I mean, the bubble was incredible, what they were able to pull off considering the way they all had to improvise. And I thought, I thought, you know, applause goes around to a lot of people that did a lot of stuff. That wasn't easy for anyone. It wasn't easy for the players and the teams to go through it. It wasn't easy for the NHL
1: to pull off. It wasn't easy for them to pull off world remote broadcasts the way no. they did. Um, but, but, man, is it great to just
0: walk into an arena and, and see fans and hear fans again because... Uh,
1: I, I don't I feel like you know the cliche is you don't know what you have until, until it's you're gone, gone. I, I, I
0: think you did know I think all I think you did know but no one could ever imagine a scenario where you would experience it without him and then to do it Man, is it awesome to just hear a crowd roar.
1: Yeah, the crowd roaring. And somebody that makes a lot of crowds roar on both sides of the puck, somebody we talked to previously, Jake Ottinger, one of the hottest young goaltenders in the National Hockey League, at least in my opinion. How have you seen his game evolve throughout your time in Dallas, and what can we expect from him in the future?
0: I mean, he was really impressive as a rookie, and he got thrown multiple times into a fire because of the situation, the scheduling situation. The, the breakdowns of, you know, what happened with the multiple delays to the star schedule. Um, there were many nights that he would show up to the rink and he didn't even know he was going to be playing. And then, next you know, he finds himself in between the pipes in a key situation. And he never looked like the moment was too big for him. I think that's probably the best thing you can say about a young netminder. He just always seemed poised. And, and, you know, if mistakes would happen, he would learn from them. That- And the next game, you'd see instant improvement. I think the sky's the limit with him. I think people started to figure out just how good he could be. He's also a tremendous person off the ice from the limited interaction I've had with him. We didn't get access to the players, so we weren't around any of them because of of COVID protocols this year. But I remember covering the draft when the Stars took Ottinger and you know, chatting with him a few minutes after the Stars picked him. And they traded up. They picked him in the first round, mm-hmm. and he had this really impressive balance of you know kindness um, and also confidence. Where you know he he was confident in his ability. He, I remember him saying, "I wanted to be the first goaltender taken in the draft," and he was. And him saying, "I wanted to be a first round pick," but also doing it in a way where he didn't feel like anything was handed to him. He didn't feel like anything was was expected, right. just things things that he wanted. And I remember thinking, like, man, if he can be that way in the net, like, he's got a really impressive intangible there because it's it's that confidence that, that doesn't bleed into arrogance. Um, I, the teammates all love him. Uh, and, again, for him at his young age to get tossed into – a situation that he got tossed into and performed the way he did, uh, I think that he's got a really bright future. I think that the stars are fortunate. It's going to be in
1: Dallas. Yeah, it's it's yeah. He whenever whenever Hudobin retires, Ottinger will be ready to take that mantle as the primary netminder. Yeah, I mean, look, Bishop Ben Bishop was a big part of the plans, and I believe he still is. Yeah, um, hey,
0: everything can change. It's especially this week. It's been a very you know, busy news cycle week, but unfortunately he's had some injuries and you never know what what's gonna happen. I mean if the last two years have taught us anything, it's that the unpredictable nature of of this sport and life can toss you any curveball whether you're ready for it or not. I think that, you know, nobody knows exactly what the timing is gonna be, what his path is gonna be, where he's gonna be needed, how many games, at what level. I think that he's performed well at the American League level. I think he's performed well now at the NHL level. He's performed well at the international level. He's performed well in college. And I think that that's all you can do, right? Right. you, You control the environment that you're in. You do the best that you can when you are where you are. And everything else kind of shakes out. And when you're on the biggest stage if you perform that way regardless of the size then when you're on the biggest stage you'll be ready and it sure looks like he's laying that foundation
1: yeah laying the foundation for what's to come josh before we head out today is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the u.s canada and beyond
0: no i mean just thanks to everybody because everybody who's listening to this uh, i'm sure is a hockey fan is, is a fan of the sport is a fan of broadcasting and uh, just just thanks to everybody for you know keeping this game going i think it's the greatest game on the planet um i think that it's a blast i know that that the stars and the hawks have had their share of fun rivalry games i know that's going to continue and i always loved walking into united center and, and hearing the crowd hearing the anthem and, and hearing you know the fans and i love the banter back and forth with uh you know fans of teams that the stars are playing too it's I think that, you know, hockey, if you're a hockey fan, um, you're part of a really special fraternity, and I think that it's a, a wonderful sport, brings a lot of great people together, um, makes for a ton of entertaining nights, and I look forward to so many more. So to yourself and anyone tuning in that's helping be a part of that, yeah, just thanks.
1: All right, Josh Bogorod, Voice of the Dallas Stars. Josh, thank you so much for the time.
0: My pleasure, Frank. Good chatting with you.